0: Good morning again. It's good to see everyone today. So we're we're doing our Noel series. So into our Noel Noel series, uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 15, verse 13 today. Romans 15, verse 13. Just one verse again today, keeping it simple. And um, obviously Christmas time, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. And as we read the Christmas story about Jesus, as we reflect on his birth and, and him coming and the accounts, what we do is we read the accounts of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we believe, we believe, as Christians, we believe their testimony that Jesus isn't just an important person who came, but that he is the savior of the world. Come with a purpose to redeem us of our sin. And that he's calling people from every nation, every people group, every tribe and tongue. He's calling them out because he wants to heal the world of its sin wounds and of its pain. Jesus is the only person truly born to bring light to the world. Thomas Edison tried to take the title from him, but Jesus holds on to the title of bringing light to the world, bringing that, that illumination to the soul, that satisfaction, that joy to the soul. And we know that life can be good. When life is good, it's really good, isn't it? When life is good, you can have those high moments in life, there's good things in life, but no matter how good it can get, we know that the darkness is always present, the darkness is there, that there can be tragedy and there's turmoil in the world and greed and hatred and all kinds of problems in the world, and whether that is outside of us or inside of us, whether that's something that's coming at us that we're experiencing or that's the own temptations of our own heart that we're giving into the evils in the world, whichever way it is, Jesus has come with this promise to heal it, to redeem it, to transform it in each and every one of us. That's what we've got to remember this Christmas season as we're giving and receiving is to remember that he is the greatest hope. Jesus is the greatest hope, the greatest gift of hope to the human race. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you came. We adore you and help us to adore you all the more. Transform us by your word. Give us the hope that only you can give. Give us the peace that only you can give. Give us the joy that only you can give. We pray you do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 15 verse 13. Apostle Paul says this. He says, may the God of Hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's read it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You may abound in hope. This is God's word. This verse starts off with this amazing idea. God is a God of hope. He's a God of hope. And as I've already explained, we know that the darkness is still present. The darkness is still there. And so because of that, because of the darkness in the world and the darkness sometimes of our own hearts, we need hope and sometimes we need a heck of a lot of hope. You need hope to survive, in fact. Hope is an idea of a better future, an idea of a better, brighter future. We're, we're hope-oriented creatures by nature. We, we'll, we'll seek out, we'll even put our hope in things that we know aren't good for us, or a, even, we, we even know directly they're bad for us, just because we've got to hope in something. And sometimes even the things we hope in end up disappointing us, But even good things. But hope itself can sometimes feel even more powerful than the thing that we're hoping for that when we actually get the thing that we we wanted we can't avoid we want to hope and it's dangerous when we stop hoping when the first star wars movie came out it's called a new hope hope sells hope promises hope is powerful you can package hope and you can promise people give them a a big vision of the future, of the better future, because that's how we're wired. We're wired to be seeking, to be hoping for when well, my life should improve, things should get better. I've, I've got hopes and dreams, and we'll we'll buy something and, and believe in something that's even off base just because we 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 crave that, that hope. Hope helps us endure hardship. It gives us endurance. It gives us an, the ability to carry on in spite of difficult circumstances. That's what... Hope is it's a positive feeling in the midst of negative feelings. Your, your situation may not have changed, but that, that hope, that, that's the, the power of hope. The idea of hope is that you you look at your circumstances, you look at what's going on around you, and you say, I'm believing, I'm beginning to believe that it's not always going to be this way. The, the Maybe I can imagine, maybe there's a promise, maybe there's something that somebody's done or said or the circumstances could change that that this is going to work itself out or that there's a way to work out of this. That's the the power of hope where you can be hopeless, you say, I see no way out of this. Suddenly you get a glimmer of light, a glimmer of hope and you say, things could change. Wow, okay, I, I didn't see it before, but now I believe things can change. And it is really dangerous to lose all hope. It's really dangerous to lose all hope. That's why our words and how we treat each other matter so much because we can spread hope to each other. That's how God's wired us to actually be in community, to spread that that joy and that hope and that peace to each other. But it can be so dangerous to lose hope because you can want to quit life itself. I mean, that's what people do. There's no hope. So why live any longer? Just give it all up. Hope and joy are connected in our verse today, actually. I think that hope is 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 one of the foundations of joy. That's 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 one of the sources of where, where joy comes from. The other big place that joy comes from is of course gratitude. You've got to show a lot of gratitude, You're grateful for things. But that's also in part to do with hope. There are distinct things though, gratitude and hope. But but Without hope, there's no joy whatsoever. And God is a God of hope. That means he is the source of hope. I mean, you can get inspiration from something, right? You can get a cat poster that can inspire you and make you feel a little bit better when you wake up in the morning. Say, yeah, the cat poster's still there, I believe. You can do that. Because that, that's, that's, there's, there's short-term hope and then there's long-term hope. And, and what we're being told is that the God is the best object of our hope, is the best person, the best thing that we could ever put our hope in. Because the short-term hope of the world—I mean, there can be positive things, neutral, and negative things that we can we can hope in. Um, but the short-term things in the world—they they, they um, well—they're short-term. That's the problem with them. Is that if you lose them, then you lose the hope because the hope is attached to the short-term thing. The smartest thing, the wisest thing, the greatest thing that we can learn to hope in is the long term thing. This is some wisdom that comes to us from God. There's hope in the long term. Don't hope just in the short term. You can enjoy the short term things and hope in short term goals, but if you don't have hope in the long term, then you're toast. You're in great trouble. You've got to hope in something that can transcend all the circumstances of life, because all the circumstances of life can go badly all at once. And so you've got to have a robust hope in something that is unshakable, and that's in God. That's in God. And so the great the great thing that we hope for, the greatest long term hope that we can have is that we can might know God fully and find our full identity and purpose in Him. But the only way to to get to that place is to have all the things that block us from getting to that place removed, and that's evil. That's evil and sin and darkness. That's that's the greatest, one of the greatest hopes that we can live with in this life is these things can be taken from me and I can be saved. That's what salvation is. Christians always talk about salvation. It sounds so religious and, you know, what does it mean to be, well, just means all the horrible, hateful, gross, dark, disgusting things that are in the world that can come out of our own mouths and our own hearts and can be in our own minds that God can set you free from it. Wow. Now that's hope. You've got to have hope. Real evil, true evil. I'm not talking about the kind of thing where a friend might take a French fry, although that should be categorized as a form of evil. It's just crossing a line. The solution, the solution is, this is is why Jesus was born. That's why he came as such a surprising thing, that salvation, that the solution to the problem of the human heart would come through a child, through a baby, a special person being born 2,022 years ago. People are bewildered by this. People will say, well, how can you, isn't this like a fairy tale, believing in some kind of fairy tale? Here's why God did it this way. God did it this way for many reasons. Let me give you one big reason. Jesus was born, God was born as a child to show us humility. This is echoing a little bit from my message last week, building upon some of what we did last week. Some people reject the idea of God or don't like the idea that God demands worship, that God wants to be worshipped, that God is the center of all things. It's surprising that God would bring salvation through a child Because it's such a humble thing. And the reason that Jesus, I think, came in this way, the reason that God showed himself in this way, is to show us that he is worthy of worship. That he's not this egomaniac person who says, just worship me or you're going to suffer and die. He's the kind of God that actually came to serve us, to show himself in weakness, but not only did he reveal himself in weakness and in frailty, but he grew in, Jesus grew in courage and in strength. And so we see in Jesus this combination, we looked at it last week, this combination of the strength of Jesus. And you need strength to fight evil. Because the darkness is, it's so perverse, so destructive. It's, it ends up wanting to destroy itself. It's, it's, it's nihilism. That's where the lack of hope leads to, is nihilism. That's why you, you take God out of a culture, you end up with a nihilistic, self-destructive culture. That's the spiral we're in. That's why we're kind of laughing our way through the fall of our own republic right now. I mean, the great thing is, is that we have faith. That's why you've got to have a faith that transcends any circumstance you're in. You say, our hope is not in this world, it's in the kingdom of God. It's in this, this, this reality that's above everything. And so... The darkness is, is is so deep and so so awful, the e- evil of the human heart is so so rampant, and we just keep inventing new ways of being more and more evil and so to overcome that evil, not only do you need to have somebody who is humble, not a maniac, but you need somebody with actual strength? This is a theme this thing gets explored in, in literature and obviously explored in the Bible. It comes out. If you're, if you're familiar, you know, obviously, Lord of the Rings, the books, and the movies explored this theme exactly, this amazing, dynamic combination of a Savior who is both humble and courageous, who both is, has weakness and strength, and it's that combination, it's only that combination that can bring peace. You have to have that, com- that combination, without that combination of those two qualities, you have more darkness. You have the evil going on and going, you see in, in the world, lead, in world leaders, don't you? You see, they, sometimes if, if people have a veneer of humility about them, sometimes it can just be, you can see through it pretty quickly, of like, well, that looks kind of fake. Or it's, it's, a, it's a veneer of, it's actually this cowardice beneath it. It's not, it's not true humility, it's, it's cowardice. But you see, oftentimes see may, maybe ambition and, and, and strength and power, but you don't see that true humility. In Jesus, we have both. When they're together, that's what brings inspiration. That's what brings real hope. The only way to overpower the darkness in the human heart and the darkness in the world, that's what Jesus has come to do, and the only way to do it is to actually defeat evil, which means you have to fight it. And, and, and there's, a, there's a kind of a, a Disney version of overcoming evil that we've kind of bought into as a culture where where... You just kind of wave a magic wand, or you just—if you just love hard enough—then evil will just vanish. And I've got to tell you, that's a distortion of how to, an understanding of how to overcome evil. To fight evil, you actually have to fight. You have to overpower the evil. You have to be more powerful than the evil. Yeah. How? Well, Jesus did it, right? So, so what we think—we tend to over-spiritualize things like sacrifice. or t- We tend to, to think that if, I just, if, if we just do enough good in the world, then we'll overcome evil. That is true, in, but it's not the complete picture. Here's what Jesus had to do. Jesus had to fight and actually break the power of demonic spirits. And even, I mean, that's what judgment is all about, God actually holding certain people accountable for their evil. So it's more than just doing, yes, we've got to do the good. I'm not saying don't. Of course, that's one big way we fight. You fight, you, know, you overcome evil with good, of course. But you actually have to take a stand. You actually have to resist evil, to point it out, and to hate it, to hate the evil and say, I will not stand for this. This is a horrible thing. So Here's here's, here's the incredible thing about the gospel, about the, the birth of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, is that Jesus had to be more powerful than the evil he faced. But if he wasn't humble, if he wasn't good to the core, the danger in using power to overcome evil is that you can be tainted by the act of doing that, and then you're worse than the evil that you conquered. Do we understand that? We become worse than the evil we conquered. Because we weren't doing it in humility. We weren't doing it with that servant-heartedness and that humility that God wants us to have. So we become more evil than the evil that existed in the first place. And so it's the combination of humility and confidence, of grace and power, that confidence together, that's good power. Grace and confidence, humility and courage, that's good power. We've been taught to believe that wielding power is bad. Having power is bad. But It says in this verse that God gives us power. Actually, it's not bad to have power. We want God to have all the power. Because God is good, and God wants us to be good, and God calls us to be good. And if we're good, then he gives us power. Power to master sin in our own lives, to overcome the sin in our own life, but also power to be salt and light in the world, power to speak the truth about the darkness that we're surrounded with, power to call it out and say that's not right. We shouldn't treat people that way. That's wrong. That harms. That hurts. That's destructive. This is the categories of true, of, of you know, true and, and false and right and wrong. They're fixed, firm categories. Power can be wielded by both. Ultimately, to win and to know God, power has to be the hand in the hands of all those who are good. And you can only use that power properly if you learn humility. Thankfully, Jesus has all the power. We rest in Him, we don't take power. we receive it, right? We're, that's what we're talking about in this verse here. We receive power from God. If there's no hope in Jesus having this humility and this courage, where are we going to get it from? What figure could we look to? What savior could humanity have? Because we're not able to solve this problem ourselves. But this hope in Jesus gives us hope of a better, brighter future. And what is that hope of a better, brighter future that we have in Jesus? It's, it's, It's paradise. We believe in paradise, don't we? This is why I love the Christian worldview, because it tells us everything began in a paradise and you go oh yeah that makes sense that's why everyone wants paradise it's because we're made for paradise and that's why, we, why we're still aiming for paradise because God's going to fix it all and make everything better again in the future and the greatest way one of the greatest ways that you know paradise is a real goal and a real thing that you can have is the existence of chocolate right? I got your attention I said that to bring your attention back all the good, glorious things in this life, chocolate being one of them. When you taste the goodness of this life, it's an echo. It's, you, you, you know it's, it's not complete. You know there's something more you could have. That's that image of, of paradise. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there. I'm going to experience that paradise with God at some point in the future. And so the only way to get it is for evil to be destroyed. Evil has to be destroyed. It has to be overpowered. And that's what Jesus has come to do For us, to have that better future, you have to have God. Without God, there is no future. Therefore, without so so, hoping in paradise, without the guarantee of a better future, it's nihilism, it's self-destruction, it's living for myself. The world's going—is this going to burn up in its own hatred? But if I believe in God, I have that hope. Without God, there is no future hope. With God, there's all hope. You can have all the hope. So if we fail to believe in the promise here in this scripture that God is the God of all hope and that he gives us that hope, then we can't abound. We can't abound. And this scripture wants us to abound. It says here, let's read again, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So it takes faith. I want to believe in this better future so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Not just some hope, not just a little bit of hope, not just some inspirational motivation every so often, but all hope, the holistic idea of hope. This is what the, the hope that the Bible gives us is not just that parts of our life will improve or some things will get better, but there's a sense in which the presence of God can touch everything in our lives and fill us with joy joy and with peace and hope for a better future. Think of it like this, in contrast to the world's hope. <clears throat> in contrast to the world's hope, when we were young, what did we, we really want? Maybe we wanted to be popular. If, if enough people like me, i I made it. I'm gonna be all right. Problem is there's always someone who's a little bit more popular. It's really annoying, isn't it? Or as we get older, we say, you know what I really need is, I don't need to be popular with everyone. I just need to be really, really popular with just maybe one person. I need, I need romance. That's what I need. I need a special relationship. That's, that'll make me fulfilled, right? And then as we go on in life, and there's ups and downs with these things, right, with popularity and romance and things, you say, well, may, maybe uh, it's, it's, I'm going to throw myself into my education, right? That's going to be the thing. If I really make it there prove myself there, then I can hold my head up high, then I've made it, then I'm something. And hey, there's nothing wrong with having friends, and nothing wrong with being in a relationship, and you know, nothing wrong with education and study or those, hey, those are, those are good things, but but here's the challenge with this. Let's say everything works out. Things go well. Well, Obviously, the big problem is sometimes they don't work out, right? But let's say things continue to work out. Things come together for us in our lives, and we get a great home, and got a great spouse, and career's going great, got enough, plenty of money, hit my money goals, or close to hit my money goals, and got that big TV I wanted, and, you know, able to eat avocado toast every day for breakfast, like whatever the dream is for you that you really want. Things are going well. The problem is, there's always something more, isn't there? <laughs> What's the next thing? Well, I thought once I got this thing, then I'd be happy, then I'd be set, but we're always striving, we're always... Striving for that greater thing. What's the next thing? And then let's say you add a baby to the mix. Well, that's not for everyone, or everyone can or should. Many want to, though. That's one of the. That's a very natural thing to desire. To say I want to. That's one of the ways you live into the future: is having your own children or adopting children. So you add a baby to that. That's a way of bringing perspective, doesn't it? This is just imagine. This is an imaginary life that somebody might have. A child brings perspective to your life. It makes you question your priorities. It makes you really think, oh, popularity is not that important anymore. And, you know, um, oh, chasing romance. Yeah, what was that all about? And uh, career and money and all these things. Like, oh, these things, uh, they seem like they've been put in their place. Because so what I'm trying to illustrate here is that you can have profound moments in life that clarify all the previous things you were so hungry for, so desperate for. We just watched A Christmas Carol last night. We watched the the Jim Carrey animated version with all the creepy face animations in it, uh, kind of like uh, the Polar Express or the creepy uh, graphics that they used to do. And not on purpose, of course. But uh, And that movie, that, that story, um, illustrates the idea that you can be completely blind to the way you live, and then you can have this profound spiritual experience where everything's in perspective. You can suddenly see how other people view you. You can suddenly see how you're perceived in the world. You can suddenly see who you really are. You've got a real mirror on your life. And uh, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, to show us that, to reveal that to us. And whether it's a Scrooge-type situation where you actually have some kind of spiritual experience like that, or you have a baby, or something dramatic happens in your life, reprioritizes your it changes the way you see everything. And there can be a, a sense of relief in that, a sense of clarity about that, a sense of peace and joy and increased hope in a, in a, in a bigger, better future because there's a promise in that. Once you, once you peel back the layers and you see the, sometimes the, the darkness of your own heart and you see, I'm wasting my time chasing things that are so empty. Once you see it, you... You've got to promise, if I keep going in that direction, life could get so good. Wow. Life could get so good, which is why it's a terrifying thing. You know, as you get older, you start losing those opportunities, start losing the things to do good and to live an ideal life, a life that God has for us. As we get older and start losing that, live with real regret. Like, man, I've missed those opportunities, missed those. That's why when you're young, there's so much potential, but unfortunately we 're so foolish when we 're young. we make terrible choices when we 're young. if only we could if only we could spend a day with ourselves before we died, how powerful would that be if you could spend one day with your older version of yourself the day before you died Phew. that would be something to learn about all the mistakes, all the regrets, all the things we had, all the perspectives we had wrong, all the things we had wrong that we weren 't and Having a child is one thing that can bring clarity to our lives. Say, All the things I was hoping in, I thought there was more to it. Oh, I was misguided in that. So this new life, is, this miracle is helping to transform my perspective and change the way I view things and just imagining that. Now, that's, that's one way to imagine a good life. There's lots of ways. You know, That's not the only way to have a good life. But imagine the best life you could have, the highest good that you could aim at which of course is God but imagine that life how good that could be and you get to that place where you've achieved even, even the things that the world says we should have the Bible is pointing out that the hopes that we can have in the world and we get to that place and we might say well I've all these things are checked off and now I'm in this place so imagine the idea of having a child then you have the fear the, introducing the fear of parenting child-rearing, the fear of losing. See, see, if you live your life to get a great prize, well, the darkness could take it from me. Ah, It could all be gone. And should should I never have loved? Would it have been better to have never have actually had this great joy? Because now I'm all the way up here, but if I lose it, then how low will I go? See, we're living in these dilemmas because we're living with, if I don't do that, I'm going to live with regrets because of how good it could be. But if I have it and lose it, I live with regret because it's been stolen, it's been taken from me. And here's the gift of Jesus. Here's the, you're given a life. You're given a promise of a relationship that you can never lose, that cannot be tainted. It's not some egotistical, maniac person who just wants all the power. He's got the courage, but he's got the humility too, came born in weakness to save us, to come and help us. This is Jesus. This is the greatest hope. You cannot lose out in Jesus because of the hope that he gives. That first Christmas morning when Jesus was born, it was the light of the world, the hope of the world coming in. And that's what Jesus is. He's a symbol of hope and joy to us. It's the only thing that you can never lose. Everything else that you put your hope in, if you lose it, you'll be destroyed or disappointed. But in Jesus, it never goes away. You'll never lose it, never be disappointed. How do we grow in this hope? How do we truly believe it? Because it can be one thing to be spiritual, be religious, or say you're a Christian and say, well, yes, of course it's true, but then immediately turn back to hope in shallow things, temporary things, short-term things. right? To say, I've got to build this life that I want, how do we actually get it? Let's read the verse again. May the God of hope. Oh, so God is the source. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Okay, so it says, there's faith involved. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, also the, the Holy Spirit's involved, you may abound in hope. Now, you can get short-term hope in things, like in those those cat posters and things like that, but there's abounding in hope. this this powerful idea that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. God's very, God gives us His very presence. So, a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit comes into our life. His very presence is with us to produce fruit in us, to mature us, to transform us. It's, we're told that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. What is it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. It's a lot of fruits. Christians are like a fruit smoothie, just mashed up, mixed together. And Jesus says that the Spirit is given without measure, which means you can keep asking God, God, would you give me more of your Holy Spirit? And as God gives us the Holy Spirit, as we have faith and confidence, God will give me his presence. He'll produce this fruit in me. That's what we've got to turn to. That's what we've got to come to. There's so many other things that we want to put in that place. We can only come to Jesus to get it. He's the one. God supplies the Holy Spirit to us. He is our helper. He is our counselor. He is our comforter. He empowers us. He convicts us as well. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. We need that. We need a God in our life who will prod us and say, hey, that wasn't right. Hey, that's selfish. Hey, that's unkind. Hey, that's that's prideful. Hey, that's controlling. Hey, that's, that's lacking faith. We need, we need that. that. That's the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? And he? He strengthens us. Jesus came to earth, but he returned to heaven. The reason he didn't stay is because he said, I want to leave you with the Holy Spirit. I want to leave you with the Holy Spirit. There's a big clue in the name here that he's holy. So the more of him you have, the more holy you can be, which is the, the power source for overcoming evil. See, Jesus could have come to earth and said, I'm going to be born in the most prestigious circumstances. I'm going to be the the, the ruler of the... I'm going to be born in a palace and have all the money and have all the acclaim and I'm going to do it that way because I'm important. I have all the power. I can bend reality to my will, but he didn't do that because he's holy, because he's humble and righteous. And as we get more of the Holy Spirit we find that we we don't just have hope in the short-term things, but we have abounding hope that can overcome any setback we'll ever face. I mean, it's amazing to hear Christian testimonies, people who have lost everything for Jesus, to see the joy. Honestly, sometimes you've got to go to another culture sometimes. like This is what I love about um, African Christians is how joyful they are. You ever notice that? African Christians are so joyful, but many, you know, depending on where they're from, but some people living in great poverty, but so joyful. That comes from receiving power from the Holy Spirit. a abounding hope that we have in Jesus. It's so inspiring. This divine strength that comes to us. We cannot get it ourselves. God knows that we can't generate it ourselves. We try and learn all these techniques. We're a very technique-driven culture. We've got five things to do, three things in the morning. Do this, do this, drink this, eat this, go here, do this. We've got all our routines and things. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the very presence of God, divine power, divine strength to help us raise above those circumstances. Let's respond with singing. And worship, let's ask, as we sing, let's ask for the Holy Spirit to come into our hearts. Perhaps in worship times, we're used to just singing the the words and enjoying that. But as you sing this next song, let's ask, God, fill me with hope. Help me abound in hope. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, with your presence. But think about today. Think about that abounding hope that only comes through the Holy Spirit, through the presence of God in our lives. Let's read this verse one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You need hope. It's dangerous to live without hope. We have the greatest hope in Jesus. Let's rest in him today.